Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. What's up, folks? I am not going to name what episode this is because I keep, like, I think I got it right one time of all the times I've said what episode of Existential this is, but it is a new episode, and there is a guest with us today who's been with us twice, I think, before, and um, it's it's Letty Gore, and Letty's been on the podcast a couple different times. I think once was, I think the first time was Juneteenth a couple years ago, and then I think we did, like, a Black History Month. And mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, I don't want to keep bringing Letty on for these like history. <laughs> like, I don't wanna, I'm not trying to typecast you. It's like, okay, there's there's history happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah, Juneteenth in 2020 was the yeah. first time, and People then loved that episode. By the way, yeah, loved. yeah, um, I'm so happy to hear that. And then last year in February, yeah, I think it was Black History Month. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's like the, the, if there's history, I'm like, okay. Stuck to Letty, you know. Yes, that, I you know. love it. I love it. I am, yeah. I'm never not going to talk about it. So yeah. I mean, it's like a part of all of our lives. Like, I mean, it's like, I think it's, I think it's actually the, um, one of the biggest reasons that there's so much racism and anti-blackness that still exists throughout the world is an ignorance about history, and really an attack on history. Now, I mean, you've got people trying to ban books and. All of all the things that would help us understand how we got arranged the way we are when it comes to our race in America, especially, but also like, you know, (laughs) how do we reframe it Mm -hmm. if we Mm -hmm. understand history? Yeah, I I often include history in almost everything that I talk about. I'm that person where friends or people are like, wow, you bring history into everything. Yes, because I literally, (laughs) everything is literally connected to history and especially Mm -hmm. racism and white supremacy and capitalism, Mm -hmm. right? And also classism, like those four things, you can, everything, like those are the foundations. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's really what you just said too, Corey, until people want to see this though, like they're not going to, they're not going to understand thoroughly why, for example, people like myself get so frustrated with banned books Mm -hmm. and people get like me, get so upset um, with people screaming over critical race theory being taught in schools, which is, (laughs) that's not happening, but anyway, right. And it's just, um, it it makes me think of the um, James Baldwin quote. I have it tattooed actually on my left arm. Um, in Stranger in the Village, which is one of the essays that he wrote, um, he said, people are trapped in history and history is trapped in them. Mm. And whenever you read that, it's a it looks like a very simple sentence, very simple statement, but it's not. It holds a lot of weight because if you sit and really like think about what he said, People are trapped in history, and history is trapped in them. And I could do an entire podcast episode just on that because people are, right? People people of different races are trapped in, and especially white America, white mm-hmm. people, are trapped in this 
false history, this whitewashed history, this history that they believe. It's, it's just there's so much amnesia around historical fact and just all of this stuff, right? And then they're, they're trapped in this narrative that upholds white supremacy. They're, they're trapped in this narrative that allows whiteness to function the way that it functions because that's what the country was founded on. And the other part where he says, and history is trapped in them, like that is it. Like the, the truth isn't going to come out of you if you don't want it to. And, and if you don't want to see it, if you don't want to put yourself aside and say, wow, I'm wrong. Uh, maybe I should reexamine this. And that doesn't happen enough. I've done this work for a long time and really since May of 2020, whenever there was the great awakening, what I want to call it for five minutes about racism and white supremacy, (laughs) as people thought it was a trend to care about black lives for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, y'all, we've been telling y'all this. Um, But now look at what's going on, right? You, that energy isn't, here like it was before now have a lot of other things changed of course i'm going to attribute a lot of that to the fact that people were at home Mm -hmm. people were psychologically just more stressed more emotional all these things and yeah and also like just because y'all went back to work or whatever doesn't mean that any of this stopped right like that doesn't doesn't mean that and so Anyway, I'm just rambling at this point, Corey, because I just get really worked up by this because people want it to be, people don't want this. Like like what I'm Mm -hmm. saying right now, Mm -hmm. people don't want this. People want to be told, I feel like people want to be told that they did enough. They've done a great job. Good for you. You tried and let's move on with life. That's not, that's not what this is. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. I, um, I have a Patreon community where we have conversations twice a month or really three times a month if you're part of the um, book book club. And I tell them, right, the same people who join each month, I tell them, like, I'm going to hold y'all accountable. And they already know that. We're, we'll have these conversations. It's a safe space for them to ask me things to um, even to, quote, unquote, mess up right? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a safe space to do that because they know I'm going to be like, all right, I see what your intention was with that, Mm. but that was not, that's, mm -mm, you're a white womaning or, (laughs) right? Like you're doing the most. And then I say, now let's talk about, and let's dive into what a better way to do that would have been. Because Mm. I would much rather than say it to me, knowing a lot of them who've been my patrons for two years now, mm-hmm. knowing that they do have good intentions and giving them that grace. Cause I see how they're growing. I see mm-hmm. how they've changed. I mm-hmm. see how they're, tr- they're actively doing the work. So yes, I'm going to be there to help you figure out like how to navigate this conflict with your racist cousin, right? I'm not mm-hmm. going to get mad at you because mm-hmm. you're a white person for asking me that, but what I'm not going to do is coddle you. Mm. And they know that, right? They 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 know that, but it's the way that I do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I've like, uh, you know, when you started saying that, I I thought about something that I just kind of thought of 
today. I mean, I shouldn't say I thought of it today because it's not new. When I when I'm when I say it, everyone's gonna be like, "Well, yeah, duh." But like, I, it just I reflected on it more deeply because I'm watching in the United States how much um, people are responding to like the Ukraine and what's happening in the Ukraine and the Russia invasion. And then I'm also seeing how much anti-blackness is, exists in the Ukraine. Um, and I'm like, okay, anti-blackness is a global issue. And it's been a global issue for centuries. And it's still a global issue because by and large, I don't believe white people care enough to actually do something about it over a sustained period of time. It's like, like you, like you mentioned in 2020, George Floyd, I can put a black square, you know, on my Instagram, or I can go out and buy a t-shirt. I can support black authors and, and join Patreons and all of those things. But like, the sustained work that you're describing right now with the, what, what these people are doing in your Patreon, it seems to me like that's fewer. Like that's that there's less of that sort of work, sustained work. Mm-hmm. What is it that you've seen that like causes or, or and then I'm just asking you for your opinion, like on why, why is that? Why is it that we're not seeing more sustained work happening? Yeah, I have directly experienced that. I mean, I see my Patreon numbers fluctuate every month. Mm -hmm. I will be honest with you and tell you that since, I don't know, the last six or seven months, I have seen my Patreon numbers go down by almost half. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. affects, that affects me monetarily, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is Mm-hmm. This isn't just me going out and like buying coffee and things like that with the Patreon money I get. No, <laughs> this is uh, no, no, no. This is um, my. I was blessed at the time that I started the Patreon community um, and started educating about history and, and, and racial justice through that platform in May of 2020. I was blessed to get a ton of patrons in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, of the do. kind of work that I do, right? Yeah. yeah, and I it just so happened that five months later I was separating from my now ex husband, and mm. that money helped me be able to move out of my previous home and get an apartment and things like that. Like, and, and, and I'm just being very, very real here about it because mm. people don't realize that this is my job, right? Mm. And not that that's my only thing that I do because I do a ton more, mm-hmm. right? I do mm-hmm. a lot, I'm gonna do a lot more, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I've noticed, I've noticed with others, um, you, other people that we both know on social media in this, um, anti-racism sphere, I would say. And I think from, I mean, my opinion, as far as what is contributed to is people think that doing something for three months, four months is enough. I think that's going to bring about some change and, Mm -hmm. I'm going to always say this. It's something that I have not heard people saying the way that I am about to say it, but social media is a phenomenal tool, phenomenal tool. Mm -hmm. However, it is also something that I feel like has played a big role in, in 
what people believe they should be paying attention to. Mm. And I say that because of how I study history and mm. all the history that I know. You know, people want to look at the civil rights movement, right? And people always want to talk about the Montgomery bus boycott, which mm-hmm. was pivotal, right? Mm-hmm. It was one of the most pivotal really one of the most incredible movements in our country's history. And I say that um, because, yes, it was within the civil rights movement. But what I mean is um, there was so much strategy around that. There was there's so many more moving pieces people don't even think about whenever it came to the Montgomery bus boycott that black people were not riding the bus. They were having to find different ways to go to work every day. Mm. They were walking to work every day. Didn't matter if it was raining. Mm. Didn't matter if it was cold. It did. It didn't matter. They were carpooling, and by carpooling, I mean not everybody had a car um, mm. at that time. So they had to figure out transportation. They had to figure out how to monetarily support each other in the community if someone lost their job because they didn't get to work on time because they were walking for five or six miles. Mm. People don't think about these little details, right? They don't think about how other organizations and like grassroots really organizations at the time were helping people because that stuff's not in in history books. And Mm. if you don't know to look for the history, you're not going to know about it, right? And so Mm -hmm. there was so much intentionality, but think about this. That was 1955. Uh, Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream speech in 1963. It was almost 10 years later that you have Dr. King coming, right? But see, people don't see it this way because whenever we're growing up and some people are learning civil rights movement history, it's on two pages in a textbook. So your mind is like, oh, it, it was quick. No. Wow. So like, I don't know if people think about it this way, but I look at movements and I'm like, there was consistency. There was strategy. There was, there was, um, when, whenever we're thinking about the, um, marches and things like that, that happened, the numerous protests that happen every single day, right. Mm. That aren't in textbooks where people don't know about who was feeding these people. Who was watching their children for them? Like there was so Mm. much strategy in the black community as far as who was going to help who, who it didn't matter if someone was going to um, protest in front of a store every day for a month and no one joined them. That person still did it. That black person still Mm. did it. Right. So it, there, there was more consistency. Now I'm not saying that it was like this the whole time because things are not linear. But mm-hmm. what I mean is there was consistent strategy and yeah. you didn't have social media where things were based on likes and follows just because mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've, I've read correspondence between uh, different student nonviolent coordinating committee chapters. Right. And um, you didn't know if someone in the Forsyth County, Georgia, organization didn't like you or not if you were in Lowndes County, Alabama. You had no idea. But what you did know is that y'all were working toward the same thing, right? Yeah. That's not the same now. Now it's, um, if someone's not posting about it, then maybe I shouldn't either because no one's going to like my thing because no one's talking about it anymore. Mm. Yeah, right? I mean... Wow. I mean, it's when you put it that way, it is such an amazing 
like study of humanity because I, I often wonder how the hell did they organize the way they did without cell phones, texting, email, the internet? How, how do you organize and, and, and commit to such massive actions without the tools we have today that we have these tools today and it's damn near impossible to get, <laughs> it just seems that way to get yeah. everyone moving in the same direction. Now we can, again, as we said, you can start these like social media campaigns, but the actual like put my body in harm's way, mm-hmm. those actions seem to be less, you know, less easy to organize. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's a lot of other factors too, right? I mean, I saw summer of 2020, I saw what was happening here in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I know people who wanted to be able to go downtown and protest, but they couldn't because they had to work. And if they didn't work, they're going to lose their job and not be able to pay their rent and not be able to pay their bills. And so there's a bigger, that's a whole other part of it too, right? Is economic differences. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that there were, that um, money was any different in the sixties. Right. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all um, because you still had black people who were making nothing working. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I am saying is today there's just a, there's a bigger, there's a bigger disconnect. There's, there's just a larger disconnect, even though we're connected more because of social media there's still a bigger disconnect, and that's unfortunate. Um, just because it's 2022, I haven't stopped posting the same way I was posting before 2020. I'm still mm-hmm. doing the same thing, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, we have tools that are working against people like myself on social media where I get shadow banned, um, right? Yeah, and I know you have experienced this too, and um, it, it's, uh, it's very frustrating but I keep going anyway. And mm. it's very frustrating losing patrons because they don't want to pay whatever amount of money anymore. And maybe their financial things have changed too, right? I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. knocking that. Mm-hmm. But let's just be real. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, because like a lot of I mean, you can the Patreon attrition is kind of a natural thing. You kind of you know, you account for that, it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Um and Yes, people's financial situations change, but like, I mean, lots of times we're not talking about a lot of money a month that people are yeah. committing to, right? So there's right. something else in it. And it, and and I know you nor I am trying to demonize folks for using their discretionary income however they choose to use it. Right. But there is a greater point here that I think is really important to point out because you mentioned the C word earlier when you're talking about capitalism, and the role that that has now playing, I think if you go from, you know, looking at the 60s and again, you're, I'm going to default to you when it comes to history, but I'm going to now like this, have a thought on this, right? If you look at the 60s and the amount of opportunity and access to wealth that black people had then versus now, I would probably venture to say we have more opportunity, more access to, to wealth, income and opportunity, which mm-hmm. could actually be a detriment to us actually organizing out of the desperation that you need to organize from when you are like denied access, we can't vote. We can't get a job there. We can't sit at this, you know, the, all of those things that are blatantly um, oppressive versus some of the more um, 
subtle mm-hmm. oppressive things that we experience now, like mm-hmm. shadow banning. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like those yeah. things are like, or, or you know, so, some of the like the ways in which we're marginalized now don't feel as extreme as those days. So we're just like, man, I don't know if I want to mess up this bag that I'm getting mm-hmm. in order to go further than we've gone. Maybe this is as far as we can go. And I think that that's probably a lot of what we're experiencing if we're talking about ap- people becoming apathetic, to mm-hmm. which I guess my my original like thought and, and question to you like why it makes even more sense to me is people with power wealth and influence um have the greatest opportunity and tools to do something about what we're seeing in the world mm-hmm. yes and probably because of capitalism they're not mm-hmm yeah, I would definitely agree with that. That was good. Yes, because that was, <laughs> but and that's and that's the thing, right? About this system, and this is why whenever people talk about the system, I'm like, yes, we were all born into this, right? We we're all born into this, but just because something has existed the way that it has doesn't mean that it's going to work well that way mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And at some point right? It's like, when is enough enough? Mm. And, but then the thing too is I'm someone as well. I don't buy, for example, local or small business with everything. I Mm. wish that I could afford to, Mm -hmm. but I can't. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not Mm -hmm. that I don't want to, but Mm. also it's because I can't because of capitalism, but then I also can do other things because of capitalism. So it's, Mm. um, it's something right and so it's this is why when we talk about dismantling the system it's not going to just happen because you read two books about anti-racism and you say something to a racist friend that's Mm. not going to dismantle the system it's going to require a level of sacrifice that i am still learning as well um Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot more to that well, I think one of the other things that I think people think it need think because of your brilliant point you made earlier about the, the two pages of civil rights that is covered in history, it's similar with the Bible. People kind of look at the Bible linearly, if that's even a word, uh, and like <laughs> and think that like, oh, this all happened really fast when this thing this stuff was happening over thousands, hundreds of years, right? Mm-hmm. So when I look back at the civil rights movement for the longest time. I looked at it and thought Dr. King was leading all, all the black people in America. Mm-hmm. Like every black person in America was listening to Dr. King, <laughs> but the reality, they weren't right. And so no. you, had, you had Baldwin, you had, you had Ella Baker, you had Malcolm X, you had all of these other people that were a part of the, the movement that may or may not have even known each other. There's names that we don't know of. Mm-mm. Like you mentioned, the people who babysat, Mm-hmm. so that someone could go out and, and boycott or do whatever they had to do. We don't know their names, but they were every bit a part of this movement. Yes. And I think that, but, and, and yet at the same time, there were people who disagreed with like Baldwin or King or Malcolm X. Ooh, yes. Right. But oh, they yes. all still kept moving. Yes. Yes, like they absolutely did not all agree. Like people have this idea that everyone got along. 
<laughs> and it makes me laugh because I'm like, y'all, absolutely not. That is no. not all what happened. Um, I mean, James Baldwin was completely dragged through the dirt by mm. several people, even by one of the most prominent Black Panthers, Eldridge Cleaver, in, in his mm. books called Soul on Ice. There's an entire chapter in there that is dragging James Baldwin. Yes. Wow. Um, yes. Yes. And people don't know that. And I'm like, yes, the actual Black Panther. Like, not the Black Panthers, like not the whole organization, mm-hmm. but this mm-hmm. person in particular. And um, yeah, it, it, things were not, things were not just, we're all fighting toward the same thing and everyone's going to get along. No, you had a lot of Black churches that were not in agreement with strategies and with the civil rights movement, with some of the initiatives. Oh, a ton mm-hmm. of them. A ton mm. of them. And um, there's this there's this idea that because they were all black people, right. oh, well, they all wanted free or they, they all wanted the same things. Like, we are not a monolith. We are not a monolith. Mm. And uh, Dr. King was hated by a lot of people. Um, he was hated by the, the majority of white people. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also disliked um, for different reasons by some black people. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff in history that frustrates me because, and this is why I do what I do. And this mm-hmm. is why I tell people I am not just someone who retells history. I'm not just a history lover. Like I'm a historian because I interrogate the history. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know I am Letty and I do things a certain way. I have this gift, I have this ability to connect almost anything in history just off mm. the top of my head. And mm. I'm not saying that to brag what I'm, the reason why I'm saying that is because I don't see anything on the surface. Mm. I always look much deeper. And whenever I look at how people see history today, I have to remember sometimes like plenty of people just don't connect it the way that you do. And so mm. that's why I do what I do. Right. But yeah. yeah um, you had, you, I mean, John Lewis, the, the late representative John Lewis and Stokely Carmichael, who became known later as Kwame Ture, um, they were not the best of buds their whole mm. lives. Like they, they just weren't, right? But you would have to know more about how the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee operated. And even what you said, um, right, with the other people who are part of the movement that are unknown, I have a book. It's called, I'm looking at it right now. It's called Hands on the Freedom Plow. It mm. is a primary source document that has tons of interviews from black women um, who were in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And they're black women you've never heard of because they were mm. just regular people. And I say it that way because they weren't the Fannie Lou Hamers. They mm. weren't the Ella Bakers who were very well known. They were just people who were part of SNCC. And mm. they also, though, were the movement. Like they yeah. were it, right? Like the people who, again, fed people who were protesting and marching, um, like Georgia, Georgia Gilmore, who people have started to kind of hear of. I did a podcast episode on her like two years ago, but she knew Dr. King. She fed Dr. King so many times. And it's, wow. it's important for people to recognize just how many people were involved with the success of movements throughout history. Like we can go back to, we can go as far back as to slavery. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's always been strategy and there's always been ways that people look before what happened, what was good about it and what was not good about it. And what do we need to do differently? Yeah, man. So the, the work of the work of unfolding history for us is sacred work. It, mm-hmm. It's always been sacred work. And one of the things that I'm recently become or I have should say recently become aware of are the ways in which African people and part of the, the spirituality of African people is to is to remember people's names and say their names to honor them. This is mm-hmm. kind of the whole what we do with the hashtag thing. It's it's not really um, you know, it's become a trend, but it's not really to make these people trending as much as it is, I believe, woven into who we are as people this spiritual and sacred practice of honoring people and their names, especially when they're blotted out of history. And so when you, uh, one of the things you've been doing recently that I think is, is, is truly sacred work is you've been doing black women Wednesdays Mm -hmm. because to your point there for as much good as was done in the civil rights era, it was still very patriarchal. Like it was, it was a very patriarchal male dominated um, movement that, Still to this day, even in black churches across the United States and churches in general, but certainly in black churches also, there's this dominance of male thought leadership, male leadership, period. Mm-hmm. And behind the scenes, air quotes, there are black women who are holding it down and making sure that all these things happen and ha- and actually have more wisdom <laughs> contained mm-hmm. in their bodies mm-hmm. than the men who just get to speak because men have always spoken. So mm-hmm. I, I just, I love that you're doing these uh, Black Women Wednesdays. And I just love to hear you like talk a, a little bit about, you know, why you started doing it. And then maybe uh, some of the names of the people like that, I'm sure people listening won't even know who they are until you tell us. Yeah. So I started doing Black Women Wednesdays a couple weeks ago because, and I, I had all intentions of starting it in February. But here we are, and somehow February just flew by. And I mean, it's it only 28 just, days, you know. So it, it is, but January was like 15 years, and I don't know what happened. <laughs> January was so long, it just Corey. kept repeating itself. January was hella long. It I really was like, was. what is going on right now? And then you had February. I was like, what? how is it February 28th? But right. yeah, right. so I started doing. Um, Black Women Wednesdays, beginning of this month, and it was just because I, honestly, I wanted to be more consistent on social media because I hadn't been in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Just gonna be very honest about that too. But yeah. I also wanted to do something that I know would excite me mm-hmm. as far as planning it and that kind of thing, and also introduce newer Black people, or I'm saying newer other Black people. Newer Black people. Those of you. <laughs> if you just got black in the last couple of months, you didn't know. <laughs> I meant like people who others have no idea who they are, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but also because I am very thorough whenever I talk about history. I don't yeah. just say, oh, this is Asada Shakur and this is what she did and that's it. No, I really want to say something to connect Asada Shakur to like 1980. Right. Mm. I, I want to connect Asana Shakur to a women's black women's um, movement in the 1920s. Right. I, mm. I want to show people how it connects. And so it was a way too for me to be able to take all the books that I have here on my shelf 
and say, you know what? I want to pull a quote from this essay written by Polly Murray. And I want to just read this on a reel and let people hear. People have probably never heard this before. It's an easy way for me to do that. And just to get people curious about history and to see my biggest thing when teaching history is for people to see that it's not boring. It's the furthest thing from boring. I used to think it was boring. I actually grew up not liking history at all. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, fun fact. And then I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I went to college and I was fascinated by it because my professors were brilliant and they taught real history. Mm. Um, they did not sugarcoat it. They did. I, it was. Oof, yeah. And then I love it so much. Got my master's in it. So, mm. yeah, I. I've been enjoying it. I've, I've been enjoying it. Uh, it's actually that. And then I do a couple other days during the week. I'm going to add a couple more to um, have helped me be more consistent and not procrastinate mm. on planning my <laughs> posts out. Uh, but yeah, I, um, I just really want to highlight the fact that there are more black women and there was more to the black women people know about than what people know, right? Mm. Um, Nina Simone was not only a singer. Nina Simone was not just a dark-skinned black woman who sung Mississippi Goddamn. You have to understand that a fun fact, and I don't mean the word fun, but Mm -hmm. a fact Mm -hmm. is that song, um, her activism actually, in a way, cost her her career a little bit. Mm. And people don't know that, um, right? Mm. People don't know that about her. But think about it. A dark-skinned black woman is at a concert or is at concerts and she's calling out white people in the Mm -hmm. 60s, right Mm -hmm. after Medgar Evers was killed, right after the 16th Street Church bombing. Do you think that was well-received by white America? No. No, it wasn't. But unless you have that context, right, you're not going to see it that way. You're you're going to see her as, oh, Nina Simone, and she sang these songs. Yeah, she was a phenomenal artist. She was also from North Carolina. She was from Tryon, North Carolina, which is about four hours away from where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know the background about her. You don't know what her real name was. You don't know that she was rejected from music schools growing up and how that affected her mentally, right? So there's a lot more. I want to... I want to humanize mm. people in history. And I, that's probably not the best word to use right now, but that's what's coming to mind. Yeah. I want people to see their humanity. I want people to understand why this history is so important. You, you've got to understand why Nina Simone was so important beyond her music. So whenever, yeah. whenever we're talking today in 2022 about how dark-skinned black women are treated, that's also the Nina Simones that we're talking about. You've got to, you've got to connect that. This is not a conversation that has just started in the 21st century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have to, I think that's a, a, a beautiful connection to make the humanity of history. It's, mm-hmm. it is like, as you were even talking earlier about what had to go into the Montgomery bus boycott, mm-hmm. that, that all of the things that had to be considered, I never really thought about a lot of these people got to walk to work now. Like you just kind of think again, cause it's one page in history in a history book and you got a picture and you know, and you have a picture of like a bus and it's in black and white. And maybe there's a picture of Dr. King next to it who, may, who wasn't even there, but like, you just got like this. <laughs> yeah. This, right? and, and, 
And you just think, okay, they did something. It's a poster, but you don't actually have like the connection to the humanity mm-hmm. of what it took to organize, what it costs them. That's mm-hmm. why I think, you know, I think you and I both, uh, I've led a legacy trip with Nandi. I think you're about to lead one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I led one back in August. I'm leading okay. one again next okay. next month. Yeah. Well, and I think this, this, when you talk about putting your body in, in history, I think this is one of the ways you can do that because mm-hmm. you are, when I walked the Edmund Pettus bridge, I like in some small way could have a more existential, no pun intended understanding of what it would be like. And then when I found out that they walked 45 or something stupid miles in church clothes, yep, 54, 54 50. miles mm-hmm. to yes. get your ass beat. Yes. It's just like, I mean, there was a part of me that's like, dude, we should do, we should do this walk now. We should walk this 54 miles now to just, just like, like to, to not even be, to not even meet at the end of this bridge. We're not going to meet dogs or billy clubs or, or hateful white people. We're just going to walk. That alone, just the walk, mm-hmm. is yeah. like, I mean, and and we're just we're recording this two days after the was the fifty ninth anniversary of, of Bloody Sunday, fifty seventh, fifty seventh anniversary mm-hmm. of Bloody Sunday, mm-hmm. and like, when you can put some humanity to these stories, I think it does something to people where they go, oh, that like that's a person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it actually, you know, and I know I'm, I'm yeah. the host, so somebody asking you questions, but I, you make me like no, you make you and I, I get, you start talking, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm now on fire. <laughs> like, but like, there's like this. Um, I saw the other day, and I and I hate the sentiment, but I also understand it. I've seen so many white Americans with this. In fact, I literally saw one the other day that said, "This, these are our children, these are our neighbors." when they were showing pictures of Ukrainians under attack. Okay. Now people in the middle East have been experiencing this for decades and I've never seen a post from anyone saying Mm -hmm. these are our children. These are our people because they didn't, you couldn't see them the same. Mm -hmm. And I do think there is something powerful about being able to see yourself in history because it makes you attached to it in ways that Mm -hmm. you at least feel some inclination to do something I'm just not sure that white folks or dominant culture folks have seen the humanity of black people Mm -hmm. in the ways that you're trying to show all of us. No. And it made me think about so many things. I thought about my mind is going like a thousand miles an hour right now, (laughs) but it actually makes me think about how I will say things to people about history that, make people very uncomfortable, makes mm-hmm. people cringe a little bit. Black people, white people, brown people. I am grateful, honestly, Corey, to God that I have a strength that I don't know where it comes from to talk about these things. But mm-hmm. I'm going to say this on on here, but um, I was doing a podcast episode for another podcast um, mm-hmm. earlier last month. And it was a four-part series. And in this particular episode, I was reading an article that was written in 1912 by a domestic black worker. She probably didn't write it. She probably told it to someone and then they actually wrote it um, Mm -hmm. because not because I'm saying that she was incompetent or anything like that. No, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. because at the time in Georgia um, and as a domestic 
black workers, you more than likely um, were not educated on a level Mm -hmm. that people assume people were, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, not educated literacy-wise. Right, exactly. You want to say that, right? Yes, Yes. Um, But I was reading this, and she was talking about, and trigger warning for people listening, she was talking about how she was um, sexually assaulted Mm. by her... um, by the woman who she worked for, by by her husband. Mm. This was very common for black women. This is this still happens with um, black women. But mm. anyway, I was saying that uh, we can even talk about this with slavery. And I said, it's really easy for people to read about slavery and read the things about the labor and the work because it's romanticized. But when you get into the nitty gritty, if, if, mm. if you're really reading the history and it's not making your stomach turn a little bit, and you're not reading it. Mm. And I said on there that I want the white people listening to think about how you would feel if you had to tell your black daughter or your white daughter that um, someone was going to come take you one night and they were going to hurt your body in Mm. ways that you could not protect them from. Mm. Because that is what black enslaved women had to do with their daughters. I've read the accounts about it, right? But whenever you say this and you ask someone to think about it, it's a different reaction. It's a different feeling than just reading about slavery, right? It's a different feeling than the pictures you see um, of them with cotton and picking cotton and harvesting sugarcane it's 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 different mm-hmm. um and that is what i have found is what i'm convicted to do mm-hmm. <laughs> for the mm-hmm. work that i'm doing mm-hmm. and i've had people tell me like oh i'm not going to do that or well, i don't know why you do that i sometimes don't want to um but mm-hmm. i also do want to because i see the difference in someone's face and i say that to them right yes. um, you, people have to feel something mm-hmm. um it's how we see change in other ways. It's how you see change in a friendship. If your friend tells you something that you did to them that wasn't right, you're going to feel a way, right? You're going to mm-hmm. want to maybe I'm not doing that anymore. Why can't we do that with other things? And so, anyway, I'm just, yeah. again, Well, rambling. no, but, the, but that is, that is, I mean, isn't that precisely why, um, um, Gosh, why is my brain my brain just like it's like my computer turned off? <laughs> my I totally understand. <laughs> I definitely understand. Is, but isn't that why Emmett Till's mother left the casket open? Yeah, and it's it's interesting too with that because she didn't want to at first. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, people think that it was just a decision that she immediately made. Oh, when she she was going to do it, she actually was very outright about not doing it for. A little bit at first. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until she was convicted in a way. Matter of fact, um, there's a couple books where this is talked about, but she was convicted in a way where it was like, no, you need to show it. Um, you need to show what happened. And she was moved to do it too. Mm-hmm. Um, because see what people don't know about Emmett Till's mother is she didn't think that what was happening in Mississippi whenever happened in Chicago. Mm. Um, she, she, she actually said this. She, and I forget how exactly she worded it, but she didn't think it was ever like that. 
black people down there, like that, that was their stuff that they were dealing with, right? It wasn't what, what we were dealing with. Mm. But whenever her son went down there and never came back home and set mangled and completely brutalized and murdered, um, it changed her in a way. Um, and people have to understand that you 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 have to feel it. You have, you have to, to feel the things, and that's why I talk about history the way I talk about it. It's um, it's not the easiest thing to do. It is, yeah. It's just not. I remember the first time that I went to the lynching memorial in Montgomery. This was February of 2020. I went on a legacy trip, actually. Um, this was mm. the first time that I met Tina in mm. person and also mm. Jen, Jen mm. Um, Kenny. Mm. But um, all of the pillars that are hanging above your head. Yes. Right. I um, I don't know who's listening, who's ever been there, but I want people to imagine like someone had to go many times. People had to go and cut their loved one's bodies down from a tree. Or from a pole, or whatever. And whenever you see the pictures of people posing, right, with these bodies, I want people to understand what it took to take a picture at that time. It wasn't just a selfie, a quick little, no, 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 no. People had to pose and stand there and smile for a good few minutes. That's evil. It's pure evil. Like, can people imagine, can like, you imagine, like, people listening, I mean, like, can y'all imagine um, seeing someone hurt and going up beside them today and wanting to take a picture with them? Right? But that's, but that's what happened. But they murdered the people, right? And they let their children go and cut body parts off. I, I think about that. Like, really think about it. Right. But see, this is how I feel history. It's, it's, it's heavy. I remember the first time, <laughs> this is really personal, but the first time that I had therapy with my therapist back in June, 2020, I was telling her about my, my life at like the time and the work that I do. And the first thing she asked me was, when do you rest? Mm-hmm. She said, because not only are you going through a lot in life with just personal life she said but the work you do is very heavy yes you know that's a great question (laughs) that's a great question but but yeah i i want people to feel the history and getting back to i never finished my thought actually about the black women wednesdays (laughs) this is how my brain works my neurodivergent brain works this way it's it's working um, though (laughs) yeah i i want to keep educating people this way um, and I know that this is something that we've seen often where it's all well, black people don't need to be teaching white people and all this stuff. That's not actually my focus. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That's not my focus. I do this because I want to do this. I do mm-hmm. this because I've seen the difference that it makes in some people. Mm-hmm. I want to do this because I am passionate about history and I, this is part of my purpose. I'm obedient mm. to my purpose. Mm. And that's not mm. easy. <laughs> no, that's, it's not. That's not easy. <laughs> no. no, it's not. And I think, uh, you know, um, 
as a black woman, there is there is trauma. I mean, that you carry in your body, right? There's trauma that I, as a black man, carry in my body, mm-hmm. and I do believe that all of the ancestors who hung from trees, um, and the ancestors who had to cut their loved ones down or never found their loved ones, that trauma is carried in our collective experience and in our bodies collectively. And that's why I believe we get so triggered and angry at things like Tucker Carlson asking for um, Kentaji Brown Jackson's like uh, LSAT scores. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's why, it's why we just like, it's why that is such a triggering thing because you're like, okay, what we had to go through to get here. And now we're here and nominated to be on the Supreme Court after we just had a flagrantly angry white man accused of egregious things that nobody asked for anything from. Actually, you know how blow the bar was? We just asked that you prove you didn't rape this woman. And now this black woman is here and we need to know her LSAT. Like, I just, these things are infuriating because it's, because I think we carry the history in us. And then once you also know the history <laughs> and you work in the history, yeah. like, I think these things just, they, they, yes, we have to rest. Yes. I think we should rest even more than what other folks do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I think this work, just a podcast talking about this stuff feels like a week's worth of work because mm-hmm. it's cause you're exploring mm-hmm. these things and you're looking these things in the face. It's like, Oh my God, it's so heavy. Yeah, it's very heavy. And I'm also so grateful for the generational strengths that we have too, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, yes, we have trauma that's been passed down. Absolutely. That is, and I mean, me as a black woman, I have trauma in my body. There's a reason why black women have higher maternal health mortality rates. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for Mm -hmm. all of that. There's a reason, right? Like there's a reason why, I mean, look at slavery, look at post-slavery with what happened to us physically being experimented on and all these things. That, until people want to accept the fact that trauma is not just a car accident, trauma is not only um, some kind of physical abuse, those things are traumatic and they should never happen to anyone. But trauma is also like emotional neglect. Trauma is also um, a, a myriad of things, but it's it's passed down through our DNA. My mom, my mother's eggs that she had inside of her, like before I was even conceived, were already taking on things that she had experienced. Yes. Right. And so, yes. and so it's passed down. It's literally passed down through me. And so, yeah. And I, but I'm also so grateful for things that my family tells me sometimes, like, oh, well, you got that from your great grandma or, or, or your grandma, or Mm -hmm. that's, that's from your, those things I also cherish. And I'm also so happy about because there is, and this is not like me saying generational strength. It's not me trying to go along with this stereotype of black people are so strong and we're so resilient. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we are. And also we are tired of this Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. I know I am. Um, Mm -hmm. but we are, yes, we are strong and yes, we're, we're resilient, but we are also so much more than that. 
We are innovative. We are creative. We are brilliant. We are soft. We are loving. We are caring. We are so many more things. There's there's so much that I'm grateful for that I have to remind me as well in this work. Because there's a besides God guiding me, there's something else. There's there's another level of something that guides me, and I know that it. That's my ancestors. For there's, sure. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Right. And there's yeah. just, that's just it. And so I'm grateful for that too. I'm so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what's beautiful about it is every time someone says, you got that from your grandmother, you got that from your uncle, you got that from whatever that you never met, it's mm-hmm. them saying, we're still here. Mm-hmm. Like, like we, the, the, the world, the uh, white supremacy has tried to erase us. Up, but we continue to show up. And yes, that's resilience. And yes, that also doesn't mean that you can continue to treat us like shit because we'll just bounce back. But yeah. it is something to celebrate that we're resilient. It is It is something to me that I feel is divine, divine intervention that, I mean, we, you know, I'm not going to preach a sermon on it, but it's, it is what it is, right? <laughs> like, yeah. it, we, it's it's a beautiful story. Thank you, Letty, for, for coming on. It, I mean, your work, to me, every time I'm having you on the podcast, I'm reminded of how beautiful your work is and, Aww, thank you, and how important and sacred it is. So thanks for sharing that with, with our audience. Um, I'll make sure that there's a link to your Patreon so that people can can uh, support you and yeah. hopefully stay supporting you. <laughs> like, yes, commit, yes. Commit to it, you know what I mean? And, and, and just tell us, you still have the podcast? Yes, also? yes, okay. yes. I still have the podcast, which is called History Shows Us. I have not, well, excuse me, it's been on a hiatus since okay. the end of last season, but it's coming back end of this this month, so I'm okay. very excited about that. All right. um, it's a lot of work doing your podcast all on your own. It's a lot of work. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm going to um, still be doing that uh, on Instagram. I'm at sincerely.letty. I'm going to start offering like learning sessions as well for people and okay. Like workshops, I got to get that stuff organized too. Now that my life is I'm more mentally and emotionally clear, well, mm-hmm. drop some weight, which is nice. And mm-hmm. by weight, I mean life weight with mm-hmm. personal life. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there's a number of ways that people can stay in touch. And of course, Patreon, where people just get, uh, honestly, resources from an actual historian and lessons and a book club and, and all kinds of stuff. where do you get that for like, there's just a Patreon subscription like that. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. You don't get access to historians. No. Like that. So folks, no. take, advantage, <laughs> folks take advantage of that. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you, Letty. Yes. Thank you, Corey. All right, folks. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. All of you who have subscribed to this podcast, rated and reviewed it. Thank you to all of you who are part of uh, my Patreon community. I appreciate you so much. And thank you to all of you for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.